All right, good morning. Did you all see my twin brother playing drums earlier? Y'all could find your seat. Thank you. Last September, we uh, started a series that will be going on for the rest of uh, our lives. Um, We are making our way very slowly through the life of Jesus, uh, going via the stories um, in chronological order based on some work that some theologians did to try and uh, put that all chronological, which is a little challenging. But it allows us to kind of move forward um, story by story and section by section. So we're doing that. Um, Also, we're providing a handout, which you have there, for the coming Sunday. The handout from today is not related to today's talk, but will be related to next week's talk. And our invitation is that you would take time during the week to look at the passage, consider the passage, reflect on it, journal on it. There's some questions on that sheet that could help you to do that. And then uh, when we come together, we will have all, or most of us or many of us, will, will have already been reflective on this passage. We've already been asking, Lord, what do you want to show me about it? So that we're participating with God during, during our week and during our time. And it's my hope that uh, this is going to help us to better understand Jesus' life and teaching, and at the same time, to to grow in a daily interactive relationship and companionship with Him. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, a description of Jesus' healings at Capernaum. And let me read you that, and it will be on the screen as well. Bless God, it will be on the screen. Thank you very much, Benjamin. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went to Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a high fever, and they, they asked him to help her. He went to her, rebuked the fever, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had Anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. The whole town had gathered at the door. Laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. So that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, he himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. As we have been considering these passages over the last few months, I've suggested that a a way that we can look at each one of the texts is from the perspective of three questions. How did Jesus live? What do we What can we learn about him and how he lived? Secondly, what were Jesus' spiritual practices? And then thirdly, what is the eternal life 
Jesus is inviting us to live in this particular story, in this particular passage. What, what are we learning? What's available to us to learn from Jesus about eternal life, which we have um, referenced over and over, is not a time frame after we die, but is in fact a kind of life that we have been invited into. So how did Jesus live? Well, first, we see in this passage, uh, at the very beginning of it, that Jesus regularly went to church. Now, last week, I actually taught specifically on the spiritual practices of Jesus, and we looked at at many of those, and, and one of those was this aspect of Jesus regularly going to church, as it was his custom, another text references. And I share this because, again, because it's in the text, for one, but then secondarily because I want us to consider not so much first, what does that mean for us, but as I suggested last week, what, what did that mean for Jesus? And, and I mentioned last, last week was, well, you know, Jesus was God's son, Jesus was uh, filled with, anointed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Why, why did he need to go to church? And I, I highlighted for us, and I'm repeating it just because, um, again, it's here. Church is not just only for us to get. It, it's an opportunity for us to give. And we looked at some references about that, and I'm not going to repeat that. But this was Jesus' custom to spend time in the synagogue, which is what it was called in that Jewish culture. Not just to hear the word, though that was true. Not just to teach, as that was true. But to be with God's people, to worship together. We have been created as relational beings, and we have been created and invited into the very community of God in the Trinity. And this is a picture, a small gathering of one, the great family of God, but secondarily, the family of God over the decades, over the centuries, over the millennial. Secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus spent time with close friends and their families. He went over to uh, uh, John and uh, Simon and Andrew, Peter, Simon and Andrew's house for lunch after church, after synagogue. But there was a problem. Uh, the, the, the mom who usually cooked and did all that, you know, was sick. But what I want to highlight in this particular situation was when we look at the life of Jesus, it is always around people. He is always with people except those times where emphasizing a spiritual practice of silence and solitude, he would withdraw to connect with the Father and the Spirit. But outside of that, Jesus is always with people. And I suspect in many cases, and we can see in the scriptures, it's draining. And so after church, 
He was looking forward to just kind of going home, having a nice chicken dinner and kicking back on the sofa and watching, you know, football, I think, probably. Somehow it didn't go that way that week. Thirdly, something we see about how Jesus lived is that Jesus was attentive to the concerns and needs of others. Jesus was attentive to the concerns and needs of others. Again, reading through the Gospels as we will, we will see many times where there was tremendous pressure upon him. And yet he stayed engaged. He stayed with and connecting with, being concerned about and caring for others. Fourthly, something we can see in this text is that Jesus was willing and able to lay aside personal desires uh, to extend attention and care to others. Again, I'm kind of referencing this playful story of Jesus going to a friend's house after lunch, uh, after church for dinner, and the very first thing he's invited, he's brought to his attention is that there's a need in the house. So rather than sitting down, maybe he preached that morning, we don't know, but he gives care. He lays aside his own personal benefits, his own uh, personal comforts, and he extends attention and care to others. Another thing we see here kind of interesting is that Jesus was not interested in public acclaim, uh, nor was he interested in conversation with demons. Uh, the statement in this text um, says that they demons shouted, saying, you are the Son of God. Well, he, they were right. And isn't that good? And shouldn't everybody know that? Well, not as the testimony from demons, I think, was a problem. Jesus was not looking for notoriety. Not only in this case, but on numerous cases, we, Jesus is saying people, please don't tell anyone about this. And then what do they do? They go out and tell everybody about it. And part of the reason for that, and we're not really here to kind of expand on that, but part of the reason for that in those cases where they are people who have been touched and healed is that the understanding of who the Messiah was um, in the mind and understandings of the people of that day was really problematic and it was not really who he was. And so he was really not looking for that story uh, to be emphasized. What were Jesus' spiritual practices? Now here there's, there's a little bit of uh, overlay with the, the previous section, but uh, I just want to identify that not only did Jesus live this way, but these are also elements of spiritual practices Things that we do that provide space to connect with God. And we talked about them a lot last week. But the first one is uh, connecting with God's people. Regularly uh, being involved in a commitment to church and to what God is doing in a local group of people. So again, not only was it a part of his life, but it was a spiritual practice that he had practiced since being a small child. Jesus spent time in spiritual relationships. We uh, here in our uh, church a couple times a year, sometimes in the summer, but not so much lately, but in the fall and the spring, we'll have community groups. 
And the purpose, one of the purposes of our uh, community groups is an opportunity for closer connected relationship than what we can have in this setting. We're a small church. We can know one another. We can chat with one another on a, on a weekly basis on Sunday mornings or at least with a few of us. But, but Jesus had deeper relationships with a few men. He had the 12, as we're well aware, the 12 disciples. But around them was Mary and Martha and Lazarus and lots of others that were following and a part of his life, he, and he was hanging out with them. But then I think we also are aware that there was um, Peter, James, and John, um, two brothers, and then their friend, Simon Peter, that Jesus had a, a particular, uh, frequently we can see the four of them going off together. One of those times is they go to a mount and Jesus is transfigured while he's praying for them. But the point is, is that, that Jesus was involved in intimate spiritual relationships, both, I believe, giving and receiving mutually in those settings. And besides our community groups here, there are quite a few of our folks that meet in small clusters of spiritual friendships. I myself am involved in two of those, uh, one with some old guys and one with some younger guys. Because I'm the older guy too, so we got to do our older guy thing. But then we got the younger guy thing going on. Anyway, and um, those are very beneficial because the focus is of, of those kinds of times is how are you connecting with God? How are you experiencing God in your life? Not so much how's your job going or, you know, how's it, how your kid's doing. Uh, although those things would be present because we're friends, but, but the target of spiritual friendships, whether they be one-on-one, uh, -on -one, which they are in some settings, or possibly with a spiritual director, uh, others with a cluster of three or four, the point is, how are we doing in our relationship with God? How can I get prayer? How can I pray for you? We need to be involved in those kinds of relationships, even as Jesus was. Referenced earlier, Jesus concerned about people's needs. Jesus practiced setting aside personal wants and desires. The idea of fasting that was referenced this morning that we will do as a, a church is an opportunity to set aside from something that's normal, regular, just fine, but unto a purpose of Creating space to connect with God. That's, that's the target of, of spiritual practices. And one of the struggles that we have is that we are very uh, distracted people by our, our, in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, and circumstances going on, sometimes even in, um, you know, situational community, city, or nation issues. And, and we get, you know, just distracted. It's hard to pray. It's hard to remember to connect with God. And so we take times to uh, put aside normal, legitimate wants and desires. Food is one of the ones most frequently referenced in Scripture. It's something that we do 
multiple times a day. And fasting from food could be as little as one meal a week. It could be from desserts. It could be from fast food, uh, going out to eat. But just doing that activity without the simultaneous connecting with God, we've missed the point. So as we look as a local church to fast together, we're not going to be directive as in everyone's going to fast in this way. Rather, you are going to initiate conversation, attention with God and saying, Father, what is it that I can set aside over these 40 days that we will be doing this as a church? What is it that I can set aside that will enable me to better connect with you in this period of time? So we'd like you to be praying about that. And Jesus did that. Frequently, we see Jesus laying aside his personal wants and desires. Jesus practiced stepping out in faith and dependency upon God in this setting uh, where people were coming and having needs. Um, we talk about that, yes, Jesus um, was God... Yet, as human, he functioned with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, which is always, in my opinion, a risk that takes faith. Here these people stand before Jesus. My, having prayed for the sick for now 25 years or something like that, and standing there praying for someone with a condition, knowing that I can heal no one, that only God heals, yet standing there as God's ambassador, saying, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, the very healing power that you expressed 2,000 years ago, might you touch this one today. That takes risk. It, it requires trusting God because none of us can heal anybody except for a few of the nurses and doctors here, but they, they do that in different kinds of ways. So Jesus was willing to step out in faith. Regularly we see him practicing dependency upon God. Jesus practiced humility. Again, thoughtful of that uh, circumstance with the demons and their declaration about who he was. Uh, Jesus is not looking for fanfare. Jesus was not looking for notoriety per se. And what that is, is the spiritual practice of humility. It's the spiritual practice of, of minimizing that uh, desire and practice that we have of needing to be important, needing to be known or seen or valued or appreciated, which we need all those things. They're not bad. But there's a spiritual practice of humility where we, we disengage from those kinds of things. And then Jesus practiced discernment. Here he is in this room, in this packed house with all these people, and these human beings start yelling things, screaming. And Jesus discerns that's a demon. That's a spiritual entanglement in that person's life. He's able to see and discern that. 
And he doesn't treat that in the same way he treats healing. We don't have the text here, don't go to that. But um, twice in this, this passage is the word rebuked. Jesus rebuked the fever and Jesus rebuked the demons. Jesus also rebuked a storm once. That's, those are important to understand. Jesus didn't treat every situation the same. We'll talk more about that storm when we get there someday, if we do. Jesus practiced discernment and he dealt with each person, each situation as was needed in that moment. How did Jesus live? What were Jesus' spiritual practices? What is the eternal life that Jesus is inviting us to live? I want to describe two, three elements that are parallel language, which we've talked about over the last months. And the first being life in the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the time has come, the time has arrived, and the kingdom of God has drawn near, has come near. Repent, change your way of thinking, change the course and direction of your life. Believe in this good news. What good news? The good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is saying, hey y'all, I've got good news for you. The presence of God's favor and life has come. It's right here. It's within hand. It's close enough to touch. Change your way of thinking about God. Change your way of, of viewing the world. Change the way you see yourself Believe and enter in to this new realm of life and of possibility. Good talk. Good preaching. But Jesus didn't stop there. Matthew tells us the same story, but expands upon what Mark says from Matthew 4, 23 and 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus is not only talking about the presence of the kingdom, he is demonstrating it. It's a little bit like show and tell, only it was tell and show. Although sometimes I think it probably was tell and show. Show and tell. Eternal life. The kind of life that God is inviting us to, that Jesus was inviting people to, 
was demonstrated by his healing of bodies, minds, spirits, and setting people free from bondage to the power of Satan. That is a part of the life of the kingdom, the life now that we have been called to. When the kingdom of God is near, people are changed, people are healed, set free. Eternal life it should make a difference in our life now. Not just after we die. So what is the kind of life that God is inviting us to? God is inviting us. Jesus demonstrated a desire for people to be well. Now, we pray for ourselves and we don't get well. We pray for others and maybe somebody gets well and somebody doesn't get well. So we think, you know what? It just doesn't work for us. It worked for Jesus. It doesn't work for me. So never mind. Well, then we're missing a part of the life that God is providing to us. John Wimber, when Claire and I were 25 years old and began t uh, uh, attending the vineyard, John Wimber was one of the founding pastors and, and he taught a lot on healing. And uh, our movement was, was founded out of a commitment to the kingdom of God and a commitment to praying for the sick and healing the sick, casting out demons and raising the dead. The raising the dead one, you know, that, that really doesn't apply anymore, right? That, that wasn't what God meant, I think. Or was it? John used to say, oh, they didn't get well when you prayed for them? Well, go pray for a hundred people and come back and talk to me. And Claire and I did that. And dang, if people didn't get well. No, not all of them. That still didn't, and it still doesn't. But a whole lot more people get well when you pray for the sick than when you don't pray at all. And we have stories um, here of, of people getting well in varieties of kinds of ways. Physical healing, yes, but as well in spirit and mind. We have various models for ministry prayer. We have deliverance. We have healing of uh, sozo. And then what, what does Ellen do? The, the deliverance from ancestral demons. So these, this is the kind of life that God is wanting for us. He's wanting us to be free from those entanglements that are weighing us down, those, those chains with balls on the end of them that are, that are hindering us from being able to move fully into the kingdom life that God has for us. That's a picture of the kind of eternal life that Jesus demonstrated and that's available to us. A second way to describe this eternal kind of life is the with God life that I have been using that term recently. One of the unique things about Jesus that we've already highlighted was how much time he spent with people. One of the things we hear Jesus saying throughout the gospel stories is, follow me, come with me, come and see. Jesus went to parties. He hung out at friends' homes. He did his own beach parties, uh, you know, feeding Masses of people. Jesus was not a distant person. He did not keep apart from others as the religious leaders of his day did. In fact, that's one of the reasons they condemned him. Oh my gosh, he's hanging out with those kind of people? 
Does he know who they are? Sure did. He knows who you are too. Jesus was available to people, and friends, Jesus is still available to people. And what God is wanting is the same thing that these disciples experienced. I understand it's not identical because the physical and the spiritual, and it's hard. I get it. But I personally, and numerous here that I have known, we have moved into a kind of eternal life that involves a sense of the presence of God during our day, in our regular day-to-day life. And then aspects of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit helping us. Helping me to remember things that, that I didn't think to remember on my own, but as the information, as I was reminded, I thought, I, I didn't just remember that. That, that was God helping me. Catching things, falling off of a table. I told you guys a story about that. You probably won't remember it, but just a few months ago, I told you about this weird thing that happened in the refrigerator. And, and, and uh, this pitcher of liquid fell, and I caught the glass pitcher, though the liquid still spilled. And I said, thank you, God. I mean, it's one thing to clean up some liquid off the floor. It's another to clean up liquid with glass all scattered in it, Right? I was told that the Holy Spirit helped me. Now, why didn't he help me not have it fall at all? Well, I wasn't watching what I was doing. I pulled my lunch pail out and pulled out the thing with it. I mean, you know, come on, life's still life. Things happen. We're not paying attention and things happen. Do you remember that one of the names Jesus referenced in the birth narratives was a quotation from the book of Isaiah stating, look, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means... So, Jesus was the manifestation of what? And what did he say at the end of Matthew when he said, And lo, I will be with you always. I get the impression that Emmanuel then is still supposed to be Emmanuel today. So a part of this eternal kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to is a life of experiential, conversational, relational involvement with God and God with us. I mean, for goodness sakes, we, the scriptures speak of Jesus in us and us in him. There is a spiritual connectedness, no, not physical, not material, but spiritual that is God with us in a way that we should be experiencing. That should be the norm. It's what we imagine for life after we die, but God meant it for life now. Jesus lived and demonstrated the experience of God that God intends for us, which is God with us, or the with God life. In John 17, Jesus clearly defines eternal life not as a time or a place, but as a relationship. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the eternal life that Jesus is offering, inviting, and declaring to them and to us that we would know, have intimate relationship. That's what he offered and he's offering to us today. And then a, a third way to describe this eternal kind of life is a Randyism called the teleos life. The teleos life. For those of you who have not heard that word before, I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. Besides the presence of God's life through the availability of His kingdom, besides the with God life offered to us, the eternal kind of life Jesus offers and desires for us is the teleos life. In Matthew 5:48, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, "Be teleos as your heavenly Father is teleos." Now that word is translated perfect, and when we read it that way, we all exclude that from our Bibles. Because we can't be perfect as God is perfect. But The word teleos means wholeness and completeness. To be whole and complete in our mind, body, soul, and spirit. Not just after we transition from this aspect of life to the next, but today, God's desire is for us to experience wholeness and completeness. Since the fall, we have lived in broken world. And we ourselves are broken as a result of our choices to live life as we think is best. And through the brokenness of others' choices that impact and harm us. But through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, new life, Jesus' very life is now, right now, available to us. The harm and hurt that we have caused to ourselves and to others, the harm and hurt others have caused us, can be forgiven, cleansed, healed, mended. We can be delivered of addictions, habits, and patterns that have controlled our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. We can journey towards the teleos life, a life of wholeness, As God is whole, as God is complete, He desires us to be whole and complete. And then a a third element of the eternal kind of life, just to highlight, I've I've referenced it many times in these last months, but is this um, engagement of grace and faith. God's grace and action is available to accomplish these things we're talking about. Healing for our physical bodies, uh, cleansing from uh, sin and from addictions and entanglements, healing from uh, mindsets and patterns of thinking that have robbed us and kept us limited. God's grace, His action, His activity is available, but we must choose to act, to embrace, to welcome, to say, yes, God. When the townspeople in our story heard that Jesus was in town, they all stayed home that night. 
because, you know, the Super Bowl was on. Is that what they did? Nope. They left their homes, they left their dinners, they left their TV shows, and they gathered all at the house of Simon. And they not only went, but they brought anybody and everybody they could find who was sick and needy. Hurting, broken, in bondage. They took action. They acted. They went. They changed their way of thinking. They trusted in Jesus to heal them. And they trusted Jesus to heal their loved ones. So what what might that look like for us? What, What action, what actions might we take to accept God's available action? Kevin talked about it in his breakout time. He said that we invite people to come at the end of our service who are experiencing trouble or difficulty to allow us to come alongside and pray for them. And yet week after week, we might have 45 people here and one person will come. And I think every single week, that's the only one who really needed something more, needed more of the eternal kind of life that's being described here. If grace is God acting in my life, then I need to posture myself to be less in control and to allow God to have more control. In this, I must be cooperative. I have to be welcoming and accepting. Our part is to surrender every aspect of our life to the action of God. Our part is to trust God with everything, allowing Him to act and not short-circuiting the process by taking control back when we get frightened or things aren't seeming to go the way we want. Our part is to invite God into every circumstance and to say, I want to have it your way, God, not my way. Almost every week we provide this opportunity at the end of our service for you to get out of the comfort of your chair, for you to turn this way instead of that way, to risk going to the door of Simon's house, to risk going forward to ask Jesus for help or healing, allowing others to know you and pray with you. Rather than risking, well, we do nothing. Because maybe nothing will happen. We don't go forward. We don't risk. We don't risk disappointment. Let me ask you this. If you knew that Jesus was going to come through that curtain and stand down here this morning, that he was going to be here, available to hear you describe your need, to look into your eyes, to lay His hands upon you, and you would be healed, helped, and set free. Would you come? I think if Jesus stood here, we would probably form a line. Well, we don't have to form a line around here because Jesus is with us each of us, and we simply need to pray 
for one another. And the presence and power of Jesus, the authority Jesus given to the disciples given to us, Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world, preach the good news, teaching them all that I've commanded. Matthew 28, Matthew 10, go heal the sick, cast out demons and raise the dead. And he laid hands on them and he commissioned them. And we have done the same and we have experienced that. So I believe, and you have the opportunity to believe, that Jesus is here this morning. That Jesus is available this morning to reach out and touch you. What are you going to do? Is there an area of your life, is there a need that you have? Is there a concern that you have? Is there a circumstance that really needs this eternal kind of life? Where you haven't been seeing it manifest? then let's risk. Let's pray for one another. It's not magical to come up here. It's not magical to pray with certain people who are, you know, leaders or something. But there is something about the laying on of hands. There is something within the Scripture about the dispensing of the power and love of God through one person to another. That's the way it works. Predominantly, that's the method Jesus used. He touched people, he prayed for them, and as he did, they were healed, they were mended, they were made whole. Demons came out, dead people raised from to back to life. Papa, I ask that uh, you would stir our hearts with confidence and faith in you. Not in a process, not in my words, but a belief that you want to bring this kind of life to us. I just think that, that we've just got a lot of negative thinking about this process. And we've lived in disappointment, and so surely it just isn't true. And yet we long for it to be true, and we, we do sort of believe it should be true. So we just need you to help. Just like we needed your help to save us, we need your help to heal us now. Just like we needed to hear the gospel and to have you, Holy Spirit, quicken it in our hearts, so we need to have others pray for us. Lay hands on us. Tell demons to leave. Speak to fevers to joints and hips and arthritis, commanding it to leave. Lord, would you help us to become a people who believe you and who trust you and are willing to risk disappointment or failure or it didn't work and then come pray again and again and again and again. Let it be so. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. So, if you have some kind of need or concern, uh, would you um, come on up 
and would some who would like can be willing to help pray for others, would you come on up as well? And the rest of you are dismissed. You can go either direction. (laughs) 